Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, and Bruce McGee. Steve I'm Bruce McGee, and this is Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast um, for the episode, is it? Season 2, episode 8. Yes, we're starting 2. in the 8. middle of, right, 2.8, <laughs> uh, Grotesque. This is such a good title. I, really I know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the episode you've been waiting for, Quinn, yes. so give us your... Finally. <laughs> Well, it's kind of mine, too, because we finally got to learn more about the hot zombie girlfriend. Gloria was her name, right? I think so, yeah. All right, so you go first and tell us your thoughts about... Well, I, I guess I'm a little bit biased, just just slightly, but it was definitely uh, one of my favorite episodes so far, I would say, just because, you know, there's a lot of... Um, in the past of the the previous season, like we see a lot of action, mm-hmm. like there is a lot of character development, but there's it's still very like action based. Mm-hmm. But I think that this episode was one of the first ones to really focus on the character and not really the the walking yes. dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and um, for me, there was this thing about ancient Greek theater mm. <laughs> where you don't get the interiors of the characters; you only see them as they revealed themselves to other people Through in, in the situation, right? Action, statements, stuff like that. So you don't know what's going on inside. And it's later, like, Seneca writing in Latin that gives us the great monologues and interior and finally got inside Nick's head. And one of the problems I've had with the character of Nick is he wakes up, he sees his zombie girlfriend, he runs away and never glances back once. Except to see if she's chasing him. Um, and, you know, but, you know, it seemed like he left her without her making an impression. And as you find out, she's not just somebody he was shooting up with, but he's had a years-long relationship with her. Because they met in rehab. And it seems like his dad died. Always the best place to meet. His well, that's where I would go. Uh, (laughs) You know, that says more about me than the people you meet there. Um, So anyway, you um, you know, his dad was in a car crash, and get the impression that he and his mom were still married. Yeah, that's the impression I got. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt. She like dad's not here. He's not coming. He's dead. But. Oh, your dad, you know, and I met here because we were divorced. They don't feel divorced. Yeah. And that means it's been at least a year because she's had time to start shacking up with the new guy. Right. Maybe two. That means they've got a long-term relationship. Yeah. And he just ran away and never looked back. But as you pointed out, we didn't know what was going on in his head. Right. You know, what's he been thinking? And here we finally get, you know, he's hallucinating, but also... He's trying to process the grief over losing Gloria. Right. So she has been there. We just haven't seen it. Right. Well, and there's a, this great image here where most of the action, quote-unquote, of this episode takes place on the road. Yeah. And the road is this ancient symbol of mm-hmm. 
of a journey of life, but a quest. This this episode is a classic quest narrative. Yeah. And and the outer quest is not so significant again as the inner quest, which is his his need. It's a need, a necessity to discover who he is, right. or, re, or maybe rediscover who he is. Right. I think that um, one could probably argue the point that um, Nick probably lost a lot of his childhood and his his growth as like an adolescent to his drug problem probably right. mm-hmm. and maybe he never really got the chance to like find himself like he never really got to go on his own like interpersonal journey to figure out who he was so it's possible that i mean hey the zombie apocalypse is as good a time as any to (laughs) figure out who you are (laughs) well yeah i've heard people say you know that they got off of drugs or alcohol when they were 30 but they were emotionally 15 because that's Mm -hmm. when they went into you know you get into drugs of whatever sort of addiction you have in order to not deal right. with the pain it's of life. It's a form of escapism. Right. And it's so chemical he, escapism. Yeah, yeah, he's been escaping his problems rather than dealing with them. And so, yeah, I think you're right. He's stuck at, what, 14, 15, mm-hmm. wherever he started using yeah. drugs. So he's having to grow up. Right. And that's, um, it kind of uh, goes back to something that he said when he was talking to Gloria when uh, they were in rehab and she was like, you know, pretend I'm your father. Like, what do you have to say yeah. to me? Mm-hmm. And then he was said, you know, fathers are supposed to teach their sons to be mm-hmm. a man in the real world, right. but right. I guess you couldn't handle it. So Yeah, was, fathers are supposed to show their sons how to be a man in the world, but I guess it's too much for you. Yeah. And that distills the essence of that relationship between father and son, but it also distills the relationship between Nick and his family in general and the community and himself. Yeah. Well, and Gloria. I really liked Gloria a lot. I did too. The actress they used, like, you know, have to be a good actress or actor to play a zombie. Yeah. Whoever they got, they must have known, well, we might want to pull her back for a flashback later. Mm -hmm. I even looked it up to make sure it was the same actress. Really? uh, I think it is, and I can't remember who it was, but... um, you know, she's, she did a really good job of being that, you know, Nick's always hunting a mother and a mm-hmm, father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's that nurturing mother, whereas Kim, what's uh, what's her name in the show, his mom's name? Oh, is it Madison? Yeah, Madison. Yeah. Kim is the actress. Oh. I'm going to have to write these down again. His, <laughs> his <laughs> character, does it strike y'all? His character to me is like trauma heaped on trauma. Oh, yeah. He, I think he's had a lot of, I mean, it's like obviously PTSD, a lot of probably. traumatic experiences. Probably. And his mom is more of a tough love kind of mom, you know, like straighten up Nick and uh, yeah. give me the drugs and I'm going to throw them away. <laughs> his girlfriend's like, come here, honey, let's take some drugs together and yeah. nod off a while. It'll be fine. You it, know. It made me sad, though, to see, like, how their relationship ended up progressing when she was trying to be like, you know, like, you can do this, you just, like, work a little harder, we can get through it together. And then a little bit later, I mean, I'm sure the, like, catalyst was his dad dying. He was relapsing, and she right. relapsed with him. Right, And yes. that, that was disappointing, just from, you know. And we still didn't get to see your turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the part I was... Uh, <laughs> you were itching for. Yeah, yeah, but I guess Nick didn't see it, so we don't get to see it. True, um, true. I want to talk about... Yeah, go ahead. Since we're at the um, the beginning of this week's narrative, 
the idea of the flashback as a narrative device because they're going to have to use flashbacks a lot to establish that world. Right. So I can see three functions of flashbacks in this thing. Y'all may come up with more, but one of the fla- one of the functions of the flashback is that it sort of humanizes the characters. It it, it gives them more detail. Yeah. As as round figures, as Ian Forrester would say, mm. it also clarifies how their world came to be. How did it go to hell in a handbasket, basically? And it shows the power of memory to shape the character's past, present, and future. Yeah. Because memory—that's what—that's all they're living off of right now is memories. Right. And they're trying to get back to a world that no longer exists. Right. Imagine if you had survived World War II in Mm -hmm. Europe. And you just come out, and all you see around you is rubble. Right, and you're one of those millions, literally millions of refugees. Yeah, which is what we're seeing a replay of, albeit in miniature, in you know the Middle East. But all these refugees that are literally wandering around in a daze. Yeah, they probably were victims of PTSD. And you can see the old black and white photos and the footage. This is, you know, just what about 15 years before you were born, I guess, and about. 16 or 18 years, years before I was born. Old. But my But my mother saw all this as a young woman. I mean, she's 95. She saw all this newsreel footage, yeah. these people stumbling around Europe, you know, by, literally by the millions, because they were, they were displaced peoples. Yeah. Imagine a whole world of displaced people, because that's what we're seeing here. Right. Everybody's a refugee. Except the zombies. <laughs> Who are nomads themselves. Yeah. A nomad community. Well, they're kind of, um, you know, like the plagues in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Yeah. They're right. kind of like that. Where uh, they come and, you know, just kind of roar through the community, this impersonal horde. But um, it's almost more about the people than it is yeah. the zombies. You know, they're just part of the environment. Right. Something I am... Um... You know, I think pretty much every episode we try to uh, get another piece of, like, zombie lore. Yes. But something interesting that I noticed in this episode that I'm not sure if we've talked about before, but um, the tendency for the walkers to travel in packs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're sort of, yeah. like, herd mentality. Right. I wonder, like wolves. Right. I wonder, kind of, I mean, it makes you wonder just how, like, mindless are they. Like, do they really like? There's this something just going on. It's maybe not human intelligence, but maybe a hive intelligence. I don't know. But it, it, again, there's this atavism, yeah. that, that reversion to savagery, which is playing throughout. That that motif is pretty much the governing motif of the series. But you know, primitive humans were very advanced compared to this. right. Right. Yeah. You know, they, it's more like uh, less than wolves, more like sheep. You know, they're just. Yeah. <laughs> sticking together for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, safety in numbers, I guess. Yes, sir. But it would cut the amount of, like, if you do catch somebody or some animal, your meal is going to be smaller because you're in this group. So True. It almost is counterintuitive. I guess it just makes it easier to catch something. Right. How did y'all react? One scene, particularly Grizzly, Nick is chased to the top of the bus. Yeah. By the dogs. Yes. And the dogs have reverted to type. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're, they're become, going back to wolves. Exactly. They've gone back to wolves. And they, and we know nuts. that would happen in an apocalypse. I mean, yeah. dogs and cats, too. Dogs and cats are predatory animals, even though right. I love well, my cats. Cats are semi-domesticated you know, anyway. A cat can survive right. fairly well. Oh, yeah. And certainly, I mean, all of our Tex campus, they have these feral <laughs> right. cats that don't really let you get close to them. Yeah. You know, 
25 years ago, they used to have squirrels on campus. I never <laughs> see a squirrel. Uh, do you see many birds either? Not a whole lot. Those cats get up in those trees. That's true. I see some squirrels, but not a whole lot. I definitely see more cats. But you remember, he, he, he gets away from those dogs, or the dogs get away from him, basically. But he's, he's up there taking refuge on top of that bus. He goes back into the midst of the nomadic walkers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And he starts hearing, almost hearing them, perceiving them. Oh, yeah. They start yeah. talking to him. He feels a kinship with them. Yeah. I thought... When <clears throat> I wonder if it's hallucination or if he's perceiving something, maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's very ambiguous, I think, on purpose. I think so, too. Because that's kind of what happens psychologically when you kind of immerse yourself in a, like a group and you go tr- native right you, you try to like you know put on this persona of something that you're really not you start to convince yourself that you really and are this that. right well um when the walkers killed the three guys that were or two of them one of them mm-hmm. got away and they started eating the bodies. Right. I thought Nick was going to eat too. I did too. He looked too. like he was about to. I did too. I think he might have been thinking about it. <laughs> he was like, hmm. <laughs> and they played with that idea in uh, Walking Dead as well. Because um, there was this one episode where Rick was in bad shape. He had been beaten down. And the guy that was beating him up just had him like, right up next to him. And like, I'm going to kill you now. What are you going to do about it? Except better writing than that. (laughs) Bit on his neck and uh, tore open his artery and the guy just fell down and died. But it's like uh, Rick was becoming like a zombie himself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's the... He's using the weapons that the enemy uses. (laughs) The only thing that separated him from zombiedom, so to speak, was a bullet uh, through the brain, basically. Um... But liked, yeah, then he did eat the dogs. He did eat the dogs, and that was. And I was a little bit worried when uh, he got bitten by the dog because I, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really know if the dogs are infected or not. Right. If we have dogs. and if nothing else, if he gets a regular infection out there this weekend and he doesn't have antibiotics, it'll kill right. him. And that's what the doctor, quote unquote, said to him. He was like, "You're on. You're on the edge of infection." Yeah, he's what passed. I think he's a pharmacist. Yeah, but. Um, He's what they have for a doctor. Now. Right. Because any kind of medical person it's goes good. right to the top of the hierarchy yeah. in the little group. Definitely. I like what about other scientific people in general, like a chemist or an engineer? or Less so, but they can so, play yeah. a role, too. Like at um, the governor's village, Woodville. Um, Woodville. Anyway, they had a scientific sort of guy that could... Yeah kind of double up as a doctor. He wasn't a doctor, I don't think. But he might have been. But I don't know. I don't, I don't see, like, your average, like, scientists being incredibly important in a zombie They don't have enough of a society left right. for their skill set to If come. anything, maybe, like, engineers a little bit, if they want to kind of furnish, like, a, a town almost, like, mm-hmm. building fences, right. and, like, figuring out, like, logistics of, like, a town. Yeah, what they need is a Gilligan's Isle kind yeah. of uh, scientist who, okay, I'm going to build this bicycle, He's you're going to ride it, and the to make the clothes wash, yeah, the professor. Yeah. Was they need the professor. Teacher, that would be good. That would be I good. think his backstory was he was a high school teacher. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I think yeah. he was. 
but he was a Renaissance man actually too, yeah. because he knew science, but he knew a lot about culture and you know, right. which we would say here probably anthropology yes. and that kind of thing. Kind so. of a Mister Wizard. Yeah. Do you remember that show? Mm-mm. I, I remember the name. I've seen the name. Before, it was this but. black and white show, and there was this crusty old guy who <laughs> <laughs> had these kids in. And, uh, he would put hot air in a balloon and. Uh, the balloon would rise up and he would say, Do you know why that balloon's rise? Because the air is lighter? No, because the air around it is heavier. It's the same thing, dude. He was just going to, you know, wrong kid. He's performing, he performing magic tricks for the rubes, basically. Well, except they were science. No, but, it's, but I mean, he's the stand-in for the magician. Right. But, Since we're uh, living in the post-enlightenment era, you see. You know, he was, he had a crew cut. He was like a, you know, old Marine or something like that. I don't know. Um, I want to talk about the scene where Nick is, you know, breaking open cacti and trying to drink the water. Yes. Shoots his own urine. Very like. I watch that part. I'm sick of that man versus wild man. I don't watch that. I've watched it. I've got my mom and I watched it over a whole weekend, like a marathon. When I saw him wandering through and he was trying to get the stuff out of the cactus I was like I wonder if he's going to drink his own pee and he does <laughs> as, yeah. as Bear Grylls did yeah <laughs> that was it was very smart of him to you know try to get the cactus and everything yeah did it, you see the after after show though they talked about how that certain of those cacti, cactus yeah exactly will make you nauseous and you'll vomit you thus lose your that's, precious bodily fluid yeah and that's <laughs> to quote Dr. Strangelove exactly, exactly. <laughs> Purity of essence, <laughs> but he he did end up vomiting. So and it was funny because he's he's like eating the cactus and he's like, oh, this is gross. Like you could see him kind of like gagging because it's just disgusting. And then he vomits. And then you know the scene where he's like, you know, urinating into his hands. And he, like, <laughs> he drinks it, and then he kind of, like, almost gags a little bit, but he's just kind of was like, nope, like, i got to be strong. Like, this is what I have yeah. to do. As they said, you could do that for a short term. You can, but, yeah. But urine is mostly metabolic waste. You know, it's, right. it's ammonia. It's got NH4 in it or ammonia. It's got some other stuff point, in it, too. At some point, it'll be too concentrated. Exactly. And anybody stops producing exactly. it. Exactly. Dry enough. Yeah. But so. it's it good enough to hold him over for a little while until you could run into those uh, that group of I don't really know what to the call colony. them. The colony, yeah, colonia. They called it on the after oh. show. Um, I think it was like associated with an Aquiladora or something like that. Are we still in Baja, Baja California? Yeah, we're very close to the Chihuahua. The, yeah, he's been moving up, moving up toward the border, Calamba. but. Still in Mexico, and that's pretty it's one of these ad hoc villages it. that just kind of grows up, you know, in certain countries without a lot of amenities. So, I mean, they haven't fallen as far as people living in more. We rely on our air conditioning, mm-hmm. our electricity, yeah. and our indoor plumbing. But they've got some of that. You they've got some, some of that. Some, some of the places. They've do. also their culture. You saw the kids playing some street ball. Right. So they're they're they're. This is a trope too of, of so-called lost race fiction. They're basically a lost race mm. who that has survived. They're always a vestigial body of people, group of people that have somehow everything else has collapsed around them, but here they are preserving the culture. That's, well, they're a lost race. Now that Nick's here, I give them about two weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's no way. <laughs> they aren't going to last. They are done for. No. 
but it was a nice Our, our people have arrived. They'll be destroying it before you know it. <laughs> people will be laying bats on it. <laughs> Making book on the length of time the village will survive. It was, um, another good little scene was, uh, Nick asleep in the little house or whatever, and then this woman comes up and starts beating him with a baseball bat, yes. like, screaming at him in Spanish. Right, get out, get out. And he, he leaves like, his stuff, you know, you know right. supplies. That's, That's where he's in such dire shape. Yeah. Well, I think I would have waited out until she went out of the room and gone and grabbed my stuff back. Yeah. It's too important. Yeah, she's joining the cast, I understand. That, was she the one? Really? No, that was no. another woman. Oh, the other one. Yeah, she was the um, head of their local so-called yeah. security force oh, or whatever. yeah, that lady. Yeah, I like her she so really far. Cool. Although she did walk off and leave Nick to die. <laughs> yeah. I like the, the pharmacist lying to Nick where he says death is to be feared. It's not to be pursued. Yeah. But basically, he's got a death wish. I thought he said it's not to be feared, but you don't want to pursue it either. Or maybe maybe he's, maybe he had a negative yeah. in both of them. I don't know. I was I was trying to type and listen at the same time. And when you I thought there was a trying. nod in there, but... There was. He said was. it's not to be feared, but you're not supposed to pursue it's, it either. So maybe not not. kind <laughs> of... You know, they talk about the Mexican right. Day of the Dead right. attitude toward death that... Um, it's just another phase of life. Right. Um, and that's common in Latino culture, I think, too. Yeah. But we saw how badly that attitude got distorted in the last enclave when you know, we're keeping all of our relatives in the basement. Right. These people are doing kind of the same thing, but they want them as a moat. They're going to keep the walkers as a moat around our compound. Yeah, and I wonder, because he has told, like, he's said to these people, like, I want to go somewhere where the dead aren't the enemy, like, they're not monsters, but nobody's really given him a straight answer as to how they feel about the zombies, because the pharmacist slash doctor just kind of looks at him and doesn't really say anything, so I, I wonder, like, what sort of status the walkers have, like, within this group of people. Well, they do, they did feed the one guy to them to give them some chow. <laughs> or he fed himself to them. You remember there was this, yeah, the, this guy walks into the yard with all the zombies and just come oh, wow. eat me. Sacrifice. But in the talk show, they said he was dying. I didn't see that he was dying. It didn't, um, he might have been bitten by a walker or something. And, okay, well, let me go feed the zombies. I <laughs> <laughs> <Might> as well. <laughs> I was, um, let me see if I can pull this back up in my phone here. Um, something we haven't talked about at all, too, is the music, the way that they're using the music to set the mood, again, to capture the characters and who they are, uh, to establish sense of place, too. I think. And I really like the way they use the music in the series. I don't know, do y'all? Were they using Mexican music this week? They um, At first it sounded like alt kind of stuff. Didn't you think like yeah, alternative time music? The song that they played when Nick was kind of first making his journey through the desert was, if you listen to the lyrics, it was really kind of cool because it was like, you know, uh, like I'm wandering around on mm-hmm. my own and like... Uh, Again, it reflects the narrative and the narrative yeah. reflects the music. They're, they're in a perfect union. Like, As I recall, it's kind of close to the kind of music they like in Walking Dead. It's a certain kind of... They a, use that same kind of, the yeah, same kind like of scores? Yeah, a guy with a mournful voice and yeah. a guitar, and that's your main... It's minimalist kind of... Mini, yeah. yeah, but it's usually like an electric guitar. 
But um, last pale light in the West, you have the walkabout with the governor, and yeah. you know, and this music's playing over as he burns his village. He goes back to it after it's empty. And mm-hmm. He doesn't want anybody moving into his uh, accomplishment. It's kind of how I see things going if uh, Trump becomes president. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about some of that and the same kinds of things again. How this series captures sort of the, the dying days of the current, you know, the, the so-called neoliberal project and disaster capitalism. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, the, the society's dying all around us. So and this is a kind of a figure. We're going to extract what we can. Mm-hmm. That's, um, Suck the lifeblood out. Well, who's the guy that has the it's yacht? a vampire like uh, quality. Strand? Strand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's him. <clears throat> you know, he's yeah. a disaster capitalist. Because you remember where we first met him? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. in the flashback, the first, the earliest appearance was at Katrina. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's going to New Orleans. It might have been right before Katrina, though. Maybe. I think he got in at the wrong time and it wiped him out. <laughs> like, he would have loved to have gotten there right after Katrina. Yeah. Well, he could be, and if you think about the way they, they built his character and then the way that the, the real guy, whatever his name is, the actor, the way he's portraying him, He's not this man you love to hate. Right. As hateful as he is, quote unquote, you want to love him because he's lost his spouse. Right. And so you want to show him, if it makes any sense, you want to show the guy compassion. Well, you know, Strand's always been a man of his word. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's got very, a code. Yeah, he's very transactional, but you know, he'll honor. He won't betray his you ethic. As many, he has an ethic. Yeah. I think that Strand is probably one of the best characters in the series and I think that that's evidenced by the fact that we're still talking about him even mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. he's gone. <laughs> we we have seen any side, yeah. of, side of him this week. He took off at the end of that, you know, end of the yeah. first half even season. Even though he's not even in this episode we're still like, ooh, Stan's great. <laughs> Stan's the best. <laughs> that's it. Strand just, always, but Strand has, you know, he was playing, he's like a chess player playing several moves mm-hmm. ahead mm-hmm. but he doesn't know what the next move is anymore since right. his lover died. He's, oh my God. And I still like Ruben Blattis' character because I like his yeah. old work anyhow. I used mm-hmm. to watch him, I think when I was in college or graduate school, he's a fine actor. Yeah. So I'm really wanting to see him come back onto the scene, frankly. I think that, um, like you said, Strand kind of is like planning everything out and mm-hmm. that already makes him like an interesting character. But right. The, but the fact that he doesn't know the next move anymore makes him even more appealing mm-hmm. as a character. You know, he'll have to go by, you know, his intuition. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of, okay, I've got this, there's this guy that's waiting on me and we're going to go up here and get yeah. the, whatever we need from him and then we make the next move. And he had it all traced out until he got home, but then his, um, I guess, husband, I guess they were married, uh, died. Yeah. And that was... His goal was to get back to, with him, and now he's gone. And that happens over and over in the series that you oh, lose brave those world you love. That have such people in it. Yeah, I mean, really. I'm wondering um, about the plague. If it if it affected all the world at once, or if it was like a a gradual thing, or do you see what I'm getting at? In other words, was it like an instantaneous thing that the whole world was infected, or you know, how did it? I think a good way to explain it is that it was exponential. Right. Like, it, you know, there was a patient zero. Right. There okay. was two, and then there was four. Like in 12 yeah. monkeys. Right. 
Or AIDS. You remember mm-hmm. there was a patient zero... That they finally found. They? Well, uh, I mean, like, AIDS had been around for probably decades right. at that point. But he was the guy that... He was a flight attendant. Right. He went a lot of places and had a lot of sex. And mm-hmm. then it spread from those folks outward. Right. Um, so we saw it on the plane. And we also saw it beginning... You know, and there were a few people, maybe they're a zombie, maybe not. Yeah. I remember one, right in the middle of uh, Walking Dead season, I drove into Alexandria and I got off the um, interstate. And I drove down the street, I think it was Jackson Street, a street I always go down, but um, they'd been knocking down a building and there was a backhoe there. It was just like somebody kind of slumped over in the... Uh, in the bear, in the field <laughs> where the building had been, it looked like a zombie. Kind of an apocalyptic sort of a <laughs> <Yeah>. scene. <laughs> but I mean, that's the beginning, right? That we were driving by people that might or might not be zombies. I'm pretty sure the person in Alexandria was not a zombie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that I've been up here by now. The, um, the town of Opelousas. I'm convinced it's full of zombies. Or at least that's where the zombie apocalypse is going to start. That could well be. <laughs> because right when you drive into it, there's a graveyard. <laughs> and it's got a gothic air, right? It does. When I, um, I've been there once, and it was too... Um, I was uh, operating a puppet and doing a voiceover for this children's TV show pilot. Yeah, very strange. I know. Super cool. It's kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> How have I known you all this time and not known that? It was, I'm not sure if it like took off at all anyway. Was it called Teeny Tiny Zombies or what? <laughs> it was, um, you actually might have heard of this lady. Uh, her name's Dee Scallon. She's um, a local author that she, she writes. Around here in Washington Parish? Um, yes. Not Maybe not Washington Parish. I think maybe more like Sinlaw or like Southern okay. Louisiana. Cool. But she has a Moby Pincher. Like a little crawfish, and he like has his little adventures, and he has like his grand claw mare and <laughs> stuff like that. But it's it's very very cute. But that's what uh, pilot we were filming, and the like producer I assume was very very zombie like. <laughs> he was very like very like tall and lanky and like pallid pallid complexion he was just white white but he had these gray like spots like all over him and he smelled like from aldehyde and he was like he took us out to his workshop quote unquote which was just like a shed that had a bunch of really creepy puppets in it and we were oh my always God. <laughs> you were creeping out right <laughs> we were all just kind of like oh you've no. got your first movie right there Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> it was very unsettling <laughs> the Opelousas witch project you know um, it sounds like slender man <laughs> a little bit <laughs> it was very it was very strange but it was, i mean i wasn't the only one that noticed it like the other people that were there to film for this pilot they were like because we were all friends, basically, and they were all just like, this is I really mean, creepy. It's like the beginning of every horror flick. You get these, you know, five or six young people off with this creepy old guy. And, um, <laughs> At least there was no cabin in the woods or anything. So. Well, he had a workshop. Yeah, he had a shed. He had a fields. shed. <laughs> no cabin and no decapping either. It was Ooh. like, it was this shed with like no windows or anything like that. It oh was, no. It was just totally like dark. I'm not going in there. Oh, right like the I old it, dark I like, house. The old dark shed kind of <laughs> motif there. Oh, it was, 
it really was kind of like stepping into a horror movie so much so that it was almost disorienting. It was kind of like, am I really yeah. here right now? Is right. this happening? That's what happened when I was driving by that scene in Alexandria right? because, you know, it had been for years this one way and all of a sudden whatever there was gone, it was just red dirt. Right. person kind of moving <laughs> Not like a normal walking kind mm-hmm. of motion. It was it was very disorienting <laughs> because then these movies start playing in my right. head. In Louisiana, it's very common to see the zombie like shambling, and so you have to kind of <laughs> see like think to yourself like, okay, is this person a zombie or are they just drunk? <laughs> or am I in New Orleans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, of course. Then it can be both. Yeah. Oh man, drunk zombies. That's something to think about. Well, I, I enjoyed. Did y'all enjoy the scene where the uh, where Nick is is out wandering with the with the zombie community and the survivalists show up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that was sort of poetic justice in a way. Yeah, you were kind of itching for them to get there. So. I mean, you can tell that bad as they may be, they're not used to the apocalypse yet. Because they get too close and stay too long. You take a few shots, and then you drive off. You don't get out of the car, drop all your bullets on the ground, and then try to reclaim them while the herd... Mm-hmm. But that was a really that was a really interesting part though, just because he was shooting, and what made him drop all of his bullets was seeing Nick right. and realizing this guy isn't undead. Like mm-hmm. you can see, like in his eyes, he's mm-hmm. still like a human being, mm-hmm. and so he drops all of his bullets and he's fumbling to get them back up. And that was what got to the three scouts right. from the community as well. It's like that guy's alive in there. How's yeah. he staying like that? And like. Um, once all of the zombies in the pack are like tearing these two guys apart there's this moment where Nick and the other guy that's wearing the sunglasses kind of make eye contact Mm -hmm. and they sort of like share this moment kind of as he's like having his intestines ripped out Mm -hmm. and it's just it's kind of a powerful moment because it's I think Nick kind of has this inner turmoil at that point of kind of like do I really like is it really okay to not treat these mm-hmm. zombies? Whose community monsters? am I part of? Right. right. Well, and that's that's an image too that's common in a lot of popular film fiction where you have the people with sunglasses and they're usually these dark sunglasses, like a mirror. Like they're so reflective, like, right? Well, Cool Hand Luke is the good example, the man with no eyes. You remember where Charlotte Martin's character is sitting there and he's the one where he says, what we have here is failure to communicate. He's got that fake southern accent. Right. And off to the side is the guy, with the, man, the so-called man with no eyes. And he suggests mystery, but he also suggests menace and danger. Right. And so those sunglasses then always capture, they use those kind of... And the, the sheriff an old brother where art thou yeah. he had no eyes and a deep <laughs> voice mm-hmm. dogs and he was the devil yeah you yeah, know, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, a low rent devil absolutely and, and so these characters like that always suggest menace yeah because you can't see their eyes so you don't know if there's a soul inside there basically so what did the zombie or what is this show a metaphor for this week like what did the does that kind of represent like trying to find yourself after maybe so I think like, the, who, who are my people that's a good sort of metaphor to think about when Nick is shambling with the zombies because I think a, a motif that you see especially with a lot of young people is like they're following this kind of herd like everybody's doing the same thing but they're kind of feeling like, like who am I as an individual 
So right. that's something to think about. Think. Well, and humans are social animals, so mm-hmm. we have this basic pull and push. We want to be part of a group, but we want to be unique individuals. Right. And finding that balance is the trick. Well, in fact, what's the... Who are the real... I hate to say this, but I mean, really, who are the real subhumans in that narrative if you compare the zombies to that bunch of survivalists that are basically out hunting those zombies for sport yeah. instead of just like you said just knocking them off to get rid of them right the, the zombies are cruelty. just in it for the meal right and these people are doing it for sport just for, to be evil it's, right. it's cruel it's cruel right. it's, it's cruelty is, so which so that go back to the title grotesque right who's the more grotesque creature in this narrative you could also argue that with Nick being a drug addict, someone that's kind of been on his own and kind of shunned by his family for his whole life, maybe <clears throat> this group of zombies is like <laughs> where he feels most at home. Well, I mean, think about when we first saw him in that shooting gallery. Family. <laughs> yeah. And what are those people like most of the time? You know, either trying to get high yeah. or they're high. Right. Oh, and that reminds me of a line by... Was he on heroin? What was he I on? wonder that or... They tend to nod off. Like, there are energizing kind of drugs like ecstasy and um, meth and other things like that. There's some strains of marijuana that actually kind of, like, make you really kind of, like, fidgety and sort of, like, I want to be productive is what people have described yeah. as. That's what you've heard around Nick, Nick the tells, street. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's if what it, the like, kids actually. are saying. Nick tells, <laughs> Nick tells his girlfriend when they're shooting up, he says, when you hold on to something too long, you corrupt it. And, and another that's another one of those lines that kind of captures this particular entry this week. That's why I always write these things down. Well, it's, Nick definitely knows how to release with love. He just turns around and hauls ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, baby, I'm going to, I'll see you later. <laughs> Check you later. Hey, I mean, because you think, like you remember this, the scene in um, Pulp Fiction where, oh, who's the... Girl, the woman, uh, that, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman, yeah, yeah. right? She ODs. She thinks it's cocaine and it's heroin, and you know she's having this horrible, bad reaction. John Travolta, the fellow addict, what he did, what does he do? He tries to make her better and yeah. takes her to this addict, you know, shooting gallery where they have a shot of adrenaline and give it to her and try to bring her back. You would think there are their lives together for the last two, three years, however long it's been, have been a series of these near misses and bringing each other back from the brink. And this time he just turns and rocks, you know, and just somehow intuitively knows there's no bringing her back at this point. But we've seen a lot of people die who, you know, this is the first time he's seen the living dead, the walking dead, and and um, a lot of people at that point are trying to help the person. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of that um, that scene in Breaking Bad where um, Jesse kind of has this girlfriend. And they're, yes. they're going to go to sleep together. And she says, uh, you know, don't sleep on your back because if right. you vomit, you're going to drown. That's an actual thing. Right. Like is uh, roll people on their side when they're high. Right. And so there's That's this, what the kids have said. That's what I yeah, On the street. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then that scene where she's on her 
bath and they're sleeping and she starts vomiting and she is drowning and then uh, I don't even remember his actual name but Mr. White I guess. Walter White yeah yes. Walter he's just sitting there watching her he, wa- he wants her to die right. he can save her if he wants to but he doesn't want to because she wants I, the money right I think that that in that sort of reaction mm-hmm. to something bad happening is more callous. But I think that Nick's initial reaction when his girlfriend is eating a person and him like running away, I think that's understandable, especially when you consider his like maturity level mm-hmm. as a person. Pretty good self preservation. I oh, mean yeah. <laughs> his intuition was right. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of the people we've seen die you know, they don't realize the, what those glazed eyes mean. A lot of people would try, probably try to approach her and be like, mm-hmm. hey, honey, are oh you okay? God, got a knife in like you. The guy, <laughs> like that family in the, you know, the very first episode. Right. Things. Well, and he embodies that old, there's an old proverb that says there's a little bad in the best of us and a little good in the worst of us. Yeah. So Strand embodies that too. Well, uh, Strand. I mean, really, they do. Nobody is totally good or totally bad. Right. You know? And he's not so much Unless if you're evil. a cartoon villain. Yeah. <laughs> he's not so much evil as he is just enthralled to his, you know, appetite for right, his addiction. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, because he's a nice guy. He's a good mm-hmm. person at some level, but he's done some bad things. And then that's what you can sort of argue about the zombies. Like, are these really evil? They're just, they've just succumbed to, like, these urges that they can't really control. They aren't evil mm-hmm. in the sense of having volition to do bad. That part right. of their brain is turned off. So they're more like a plague of locusts or mm-hmm. something. Or like an animal. Piranha. They're like an animal. Yeah. They don't have, in other words, they don't have an ethic. They don't if, have a, right. any if sort of... Piranha developed an ability to walk. <laughs> And uh, suddenly we're swarming about eating people. That's that's what they are. You well, know? and then that that goes back to the bunch of survivalists again. Who are the real subhumans? Right. It's not the, yeah, the true design. evil in both of these series: the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing we have to fear is fear ourselves. In the sense that we're the ones that are real, really the problem, not these weird forces that are conspiring. No. And sometimes the evil is a person that's just been overwhelmed by the mm-hmm. predicament. Like the governor, you get the feeling he was an okay guy before. And this is Walking Dead again. Mm-hmm. He was an okay guy before the apocalypse, but it just you know he lost his wife. His he's got his daughter in a pen. He's a zombie kid and. Um, That'll get to anybody. <laughs> but Megan seems to be just out and out evil. He's not overwhelmed by any anything. He's the one that overwhelms. Yeah. I'm the one that knocks. <laughs> I wonder if it takes a crisis like this to bring out the true person. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a question. You know, does it take a crisis? To show what we're really made of. I mean, becoming who you really were all the time. It, yeah, right. absolutely. It's a matter of debate. People that suddenly do bad things mm-hmm. probably have always had the capacity to They've got that tendency. Right. That propensity, as Augustine would say. <laughs> well, it's 3.30. Is it time for you to go? I what, do y'all have any last thoughts about this week's episode? None specifically, other than I'm very curious as to what we're going to see next episode. Are we going to do more Nick stuff, or are we going to do other people? If or? The Walking Dead is a model, then we'll 
kind jump of around. jump around, and it may not be every week. Yeah. Like, you may have two weeks with Nick or something like right. that, but slowly they'll show us what everybody's going through. Right. And they'll flash back to the beginning of when they got separated mm. and show them, you know. And by the end of the season, they'll all be back together, at least the ones who are alive. That's Good. my prediction. I um, hope so. <laughs> and that's, again, modeled on The Walking Dead. Anything last uh, last points? Not for me. I, mean, I think it's a good setup for the second half of the, of the season. I think so, too. Uh, and I think, again, with these flashbacks, I think we're going to see more of them. It's a handy narrative device. Absolutely. Because it is revelatory in terms of character and in terms of situation both. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great device. As, as much as some people put down flashbacks and, oh, they don't work anymore, it's no, mighty funny that they, that they... Well, but I've heard literally yeah. scholars even say that. They, evidently, they hey, work. They work perfectly. The Iliad, <coughs> the Odyssey... Well, not the Iliad, but the, um, you know, some of the great... Mm-hmm. Epics. Epics. Well, they usually start in the middle of things, Absolutely. and then they have the flashbacks. It's an ancient technique, yeah. and it works. Well, for Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. And I'm Quinn Warner. And we hope that you'll, uh, that all of you enjoyed this this most recent episode. We hope that you'll come back and join us, and join the characters for uh, Fear the Walking Dead podcast. Bye for now. See ya.